Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. Hey, good morning, Harvest. So I have the privilege of introducing you to three very good friends. And I first met Pastor Tony a few years ago uh, through a mutual friend. And, you know, as a pastor, I, I meet a lot of other colleagues from all over the world. And yet once in a while, there is like this profound connection that forms right away. And it's supernatural. I, I can't really explain it, but right away I knew that Tony is someone special and that our paths are going to cross. It wasn't until a year after we met that God began to do some interesting things among us. And we have been partnering with them in Albania for a couple years now. I've had the privilege of going over three times and, and seeing the work they're, do- they're doing. And they are here now on a short visit to the U.S., So I wanted them to be able to share with you, but we thought it might be nice to do that through a question and answer. So sitting next to Pastor Tony is Pastor Cleo, and next to him is Pastor Fation. These two guys are guests at my house. They're awesome house guests. I've been enjoying having friends stay with me for a while. And so I wanted to just ask these guys a couple questions. And I want to let you know that after service, if you're interested in learning more about their ministry, getting involved with them, uh, we're going to ask you to come see us in the back table over there near those bulletin boards, and we'll give you some details on how we can have a quick meal together after the service and learn more, okay? So I I want to start with uh, one question. Back in 1990, communism fell after years of atheism being the official state religion of Albania, and the door opened to the gospel. You lived through that. Can you tell us what it was like in those early years? What was the condition of the country spiritually back in 1990? Good morning. It's a joy and privilege to be here for the second time. Before I answer Pastor Dave's question, I want to say thank you for your prayers and your uh, support and sending teams over. So, Yes, uh, after communism fell down, Albanians, they were eager to hear more about God because they were not allowed to worship or to practice any kind of religion for 25 years. So imagine how that day was. People wanted to know because they've been in a very dark time and they were poor, they didn't know what to do, so they thought, the religion could be something that uh, they could s- uh, save their lives or any other situation they have. Uh, Campus Crusade and many other mission agencies was the first who came to Albania. The Jesus film was translated into Albanian language, and on the December 25th of December 1991, the Jesus film was shown in the palace when the Communist Party was having their meetings, and they were making a lot of decisions among the for the Albania. So in that palace, the Jesus, Jesus spoke Albanian language. And uh, many people received God in that time. And then in the first seven years, many people come to faith. And uh, that was a, a weakness and a spiritual harvest that the Lord has been preparing for many, many years. So. Tell us a little bit then about what the spiritual condition of Albania is today, how Christianity has grown in the years since yeah. the door opened up. So I say that in the first years from 1991 till 1997, 
the church grew rapidly, so we had kind of a small civil war, we called, and many missionaries left the church, the ministry, and the church remained to the young Albanian leaders. And the church suffered for maybe five to ten years, but from 2008 till now, I think the, we are seeing another spiritual weakness in Albania. Many people are planting churches Many people are coming to faith. Albanians are the most open people in the Balkan area. So in Balkan area, there are almost 10 million Albanians in Kosovo, Macedonia, Montenegro, even in Turkey. But Albanians are the most open so far. And uh, we have been around these countries and we've seen how the Lord is preparing Albania, not accidentally. I am sure there is a purpose. God wants us to use us as a stepping stone to the Muslim world because we have been under Turkish Ottoman Empire for 500 years. Then we could go easily to Istanbul, Izmir, or wherever. So, right. And are you guys going to field some of the questions? Yeah. So I wanted to also ask you, um, what are some of the spiritual challenges that the Albanian church is facing these days? Before I answer, I want to thank you for the privilege we have to be here and share with you what God is doing uh, in our country. Some of the challenges that our uh, church in Albania is having right now is that a lot of young adults are leaving the country. Uh, We see people getting graduated, uh, students, and then they're going abroad in Europe for finding better opportunities and place to live and work. Uh, uh, Something else is that pastors um, are mostly serving alone. There are not a lot of uh, people that are uh, joining the ministry to work because there are not a lot of uh, people. But also we are a new country uh, also. And uh, what we need right now is new people or missionaries to come and help with, uh, with this but also, as a new country, only 30 years of democracy, the church is new, the financial situation is not really good. People uh, are traveling or going abroad to work, so also financially the church is not doing really well. And we are always uh, dependent on uh, other countries, other churches abroad with support. Yeah, I, I, I experienced that in my visits as well, that there's a lot of patriotism, a lot of love for Albania, I don't think it's, that's the problem, but that the economic challenges are causing a brain drain as so many of the educated young people have to go abroad in order to make a good living. And so it is a serious situation. It's something we can be praying about. We are losing our people, as the people that we are reaching. So some of the young people that we are reaching, because of their condition, they live also. So as soon as we reach them, they go and when they go to Europe, they work hard many hours. Probably they do not have a church nearby, so their spiritual condition also are not the best. So. And I guess the last quick question I have for you is, if you could just make a plea, how can the U.S. churches stand with our brothers and sisters in Albania? What can we do to help? Well, uh, first of all, thanks for uh, having us here. It's great to be able to worship together uh, as one body of Christ. Um, As uh, Tony and Cleo said, uh, the church in Albania is new. We are the first generation of Christians in the country. 
And so uh, the church needs, uh, of course, more workers, as Cleo said, but of course we lay mostly on uh, our foreign, uh, foreigner uh, uh, partners for uh, ministry and for, uh, for support. And of course, how the church can help uh, church in Albania uh, of course, through prayers and uh, through projects, um, you can help financially, of course. Uh, so these are some of, let's say, the needs that uh, church in Albania has. You have seen some of the pictures. I will not take too long. But uh, those are some of the young people that we have been able to reach in both churches, so Agape Church is the first church we planted. Fation is going to be the pastor of the church, and Cleo and I, we are at the city church. So a lot of young people are coming to faith just because we have been able to stay in the ministry. And please pray that we will continue to do that. And in order that we could continue to do, we need to be fully supported. And these two guys need some support, and I'm going to ask you to pray and think about if you could join with any amount. And Thank you. Um, we've partnered with a lot of different ministries all over the world in the last 30 years. And I can say that one of the things I've appreciated so much about working with you guys is that you are very, very um, conscientious when it comes to the role of foreign support. And I haven't found that in a lot of our international partnerships, that uh, you're so mindful that the primary burden must remain among Albanians, for Albanians. But the disparity between our two economies is so great that even the best efforts cannot actually fuel the advance of the gospel that we've seen happening. What I get out of going to Albania is seeing people hear the good news of the gospel, which for me is so familiar, sometimes you get a little jaded and it gets a little old, and to watch people hear it for the first time and the lights come on, they begin to understand what good news is actually being offered, and, and watch them make a decision there on that spot. What's so inspired to me about you guys is we've gone there in the years past to help lead camps where we're using dancing and English conversation and professional development workshops to help people come together and then to hear the gospel. And you guys came to faith through those camps and are now training to become pastors. Yeah, and, that's, and I, there's such a powerful story there. We don't have time to share it. I hope some of you will come out to lunch and join us because this is a story worth hearing. I've heard it a number of times, and I never get sick of hearing it. It reminds me of the, the real power, the reality of God Fation currently works as a call center specialist for Apple, and he covers um, that region of the world, including Italy. And so he's doing that full time. But I, I think our vision, our desire is to see qualified pastors like these, some of the hardest working, most visionary pastors I've ever met. Our, our dream is to see them be able to do this ministry full time. And unlike here, I think the expense to do that is not nearly as insurmountable as you might think. And so I, I'm hoping that we, in, we can do a small part to help get you guys across that finish line. I really love these brothers. I love the work that they're doing. 
the whole country you can drive from one end to the other in three hours. So it's like the distance from here to Champagne. That's the whole country. It's about three million people in the country. And so when, they, when God has given them a vision, it is for the whole country, and it's actually not that crazy. The vision that they have is for the whole nation of Albania, and it's our privilege to play a small part. I want to ask if you are interested in connecting with them, learning more. I can tell you from the bottom of my heart, it will be worth the time you invest to get to know these brothers. And I'm going to ask if you would just meet us at that back table right after worship, just to indicate you're coming so we know who to expect, and then we'll give you some instructions on how to meet us over at our church building for that. Can we just bow together in prayer? God, we're really grateful that a small church like ours has been given the privilege of seeing and touching your great work all over the world. And we thank you so much for our brothers, Tony and Cleo and Fation and their teams and their families. And the amazing thing you're doing as the light of the gospel has punched through the darkness of atheism and communism that had settled over that land for so many decades. We pray, God, that you would continue doing a great work restoring hope to people and that you would help these brothers and their teams do it without hindrance and with great joy. Move our hearts so that it will not be guilt or even duty, but a sense of vision and a desire to be a part of what you're doing in this world. We pray that you will touch the hearts of some, even in this moment, to have their hearts opened to this work and to come and learn more. We love you, Lord. We thank you for all that you're doing in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give them a hand. I'm going to invite Ed to come and introduce our guest speaker. Hello yet again. And so we have Pastor Tim Zalker coming. He'll be uh, preaching today. He was actually my, one of the staff workers from my Christian fellowship and was one of really the foundational people that helped my maturity and growth when we met in 1991. And so it's with great pleasure that I get to introduce uh, Tim, and he's been a dear friend for a very long time. And so, again, we have Tim coming up. And... Pastor Dave is also coming up. I will move to the side. The trouble with opening up a new segment in the service is that by the second week, I already forgot. <laughs> I promised you guys last week, before we hear the word of God, which is the good news, we're also going to every week share a little piece of good news about how God is working in our lives and in our church and our world. And the piece of good news I want to share today is many of you remember uh, uh, about uh, six months ago, that Eddie Caruso, one of our own, was having a, a serious problem with strokes, and um, he, he's been, and with seizures, we want to report that today he has marked a milestone that he is six months seizure-free, which is huge. Eddie, you want to stand up just so we can see who you are? Yeah. Have a seat. And that's a really important milestone for Eddie because that's a medical milestone that, that frees him up to change the kind of work he is able to do, and it will free him up to pursue the work that he's been really wanting to return to. So the, 
we still have some ways to go. We still need to pray for him. But this is a major, major milestone. We just want to praise God for what he's doing. And with that, I want to hand it over to, to Tim, who's going to bring us the word of God. I've been looking forward to this message all week, Tim. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Ed. Brothers, uh, Cleo and Fatih, especially for you to sit here, and I looked over at Ed's face, and I think he was feeling the same thing, for you to say we are the first generation of pastors in Albania, uh, made my hair stand up, and I almost just started weeping. Um, 35 years ago, uh, I used to listen to Radio Tirana putting out uh, all of the propaganda in English uh, on a shortwave radio. I'd be praying and one of my fathers in the faith was a man named uh, Bud Higginson, who um, uh, opened up that area uh, for Campus Crusade for Christ and made it possible for the gospel to come in and, and brought the Jesus film. And I, I may have mentioned this to you before when we talked about Albania, but a little closer. Sorry, it sounds loud to me, so sorry. Thank you, Stan. Um, uh, but So I was dating his daughter, and, and uh, he said... I will give my daughter's hand in marriage to any man that will open Albania to the gospel. And it wasn't me. <laughs> we could have been friends. <laughs> uh, I'm just so moved by what you're doing. I, I trust that Harvest will get behind these brothers wholeheartedly. So, yeah, thank you. Wow, you've made my day. Um, I also want to thank you, Harvest Church, for sending the team that you did again this summer Fantastic team. You've seen them on the picture behind me. Uh, they'll be there in a second. Uh, they have served two years in a row um, with spiritual depth and seasoned maturity and with joy. And this year, uh, more of you guys who were uh, youth uh, were able to come. And that just, that just increased the joy. It was so fun. And uh, so I'm so thankful that you send them. You have sent them to us to work in the inner city. Our ministry is planting gospel-preaching churches in the poorest inner-city communities in New England, uh, overlooked communities. And so uh, your church, through them, is very hands-on in participating with that. If I had to summarize the, the effect of that, it is uh, um, fruitful work. And also, uh, your team just brings joy to us when we think about you. And so we're so thankful. If you are in sports, and especially if you're young and you're in a training phase in that sport, you know how much you can eat in those training phases. Uh, all of my kids, I have four kids, they've all been swimmers. And uh, during winter training, uh, when they're doing two practices a day, I've watched my son sit down to a plate, a mound of pasta, and then a mound of mashed potatoes. And sometimes together, it's just gross. It's just carbs. It's food for fuel. Our third, uh, third child, my, one of my daughters, uh, went off to college in California four years ago. She joined the swim team. And she would tell me how much she was eating. And I was so thankful that college was feeding her and not me. Because it was free, right? That same daughter, however, has uh, a severe nut allergy. Uh, my daughter, Julia, uh, which means that no matter how hungry she gets, she can't just walk into the cafeteria at the university and grab a couple peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. If she does, it'll kill her. Uh, she's anaphylactic with, with tree nuts. No matter how hungry she could get, 
She had to choose her food carefully. Right food is good, the wrong food will kill her. Just as much as God has given us physical hunger, he has also given us spiritual hunger. And the spiritual food that we eat can either fill us or kill us. Now, what do I mean by spiritual hunger? Well, let me answer it this way. Um, Spiritual hunger is reflected in, in how you answer the question, if only I could have, and then fill in the blank, I'd be happy. If only I could feel good about myself. If, if only I had a better job. If only my parents really understood me. If only I could get rid of this disease and have my health back. Then I'd be happy. And the way we answer that question is the way we start to get at what spiritual hunger is. Friends, our our hearts are hungry things, just like our stomachs. But they were made to be filled with one thing, and that is Jesus Christ. Let's look at John 6, 1 through 15. It's a familiar story if you've been reading the Bible for a number of years. It's the story of Jesus Jesus feeding the 5,000. If you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to look at it, whether it's on your phone or whatever form it is. Uh, John chapter 6, 1 through 15. Let me read it for us so we can see the whole story all together. And I'll give you a second to turn there. John chapter 6, 1 through 15. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will that go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and take him, uh, to make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. This is God's word for us. Let's unpack it, and I'd like for us to look first at the scope of the problem, 
uh, and then the scope of the solution, and then the mistaken response of the people. And I think God has a special uh, word for us this morning in this story. Back to verse 2. Uh, the scope of the problem. A great crowd is following him. Same in verse 5. We're going to learn that there are 5,000 men, so most likely 15 to 30, maybe even 40,000 people are in this crowd. Have you guys been to Wrigley Field? You can picture it at least on TV. That's about the same amount of people when it's full, 40-ish thousand John continues to build the scope of the problem. Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Verse 7, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Again, uh, around maybe $40,000, so what, a dollar a person. They're saying, that's not even going to give anybody anything to to really eat at all. Who has this kind of money and where are we going to get this? John builds even more, more layers to the, to the scope of this overwhelming problem. He says, verse 9, this is interesting. I love the way John gets the details. Uh, he says, there's a, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Barley bread is the bottom of the bread chain, the bread food chain. It was, the, it was the worst quality bread that there was. I, I won't call out any brand name breads. Think of your, you know. Thank you. I didn't say it. Pastor Dave said it. Wonder bread. Okay, so barley bread is the wonder bread. I didn't say it. Um, not only that, but it's a boy who has it. It would be easy for us, not knowing first century Near Eastern culture, to let this slip past us. But what John is saying is, we've got really bad bread, and, and the, the one offering it is a, is a child. Children in the first century Near East are not the way we think of children. Valued, loved, cared for, important, pre-adults. We nurture them. We do everything for them. They're just... They're, they're kind of worthless until they become adults. It's sad to say so, but that was the perspective of the first century. And so John is telling us, we don't have a good solution here. We've got a kid with barley bread and a couple loaves of fish. And this begins to get to the deeper question of this passage. We're overwhelmed by this moment with this crowd and the lack of food, but Jesus wants us to begin to answer this question at a heart level. How in the world will we begin to feed the cravings of our human heart? Who can fill the soul? When our spiritual hunger drives us to the wrong spiritual food, we become literally dangerous people. We start to manipulate the people we love. I, I, I need something. I feel my emptiness. I, I begin to manipulate you. We glom on to boyfriends. We abuse women and children. We attack countries to gain power to feed our souls. We feed our bitter unforgiveness from year-long, years-long grudges thinking that our anger will feed us. Friends, the human heart is powerfully hungry. And how do you even begin to solve this problem? Who can fill us? 
And then in, and then in this story of the feeding of the 5,000, there's a turn. Watch this turn. Verse 11. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. And so they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Jesus doesn't just squeak out a problem. Jesus is not the superhero in the corner that just almost met his match, who is exhausted, his his energy is just about gone. He lavishly feeds the crowd from these impossible resources. So much so that there are 12 baskets. I'm sure you, you, you see the significance of the 12. It's like the, the 12 tribes of Israel. It's complete. Nothing, uh, nobody is, is overlooked. It's a, it's a number of completeness. His provision for this crowd is lavish. And all he did was say, oh, here, let me take those, pray over them, and then let's distribute these. Who is this? Who is this Christ? And friends, this is a miracle that happened in real time in a real place. There was an, if we could go back through time, this happened. This is not an inspiring story. This is a piece of history. Speaking of of, of, uh, a baseball park, you know, just imagine a kid in the middle of Wrigley Field, and, and all the food's gone for some bizarre reason. And he says, well, uh, here, I, I, I've, got, uh, I've got five pretzels, soft pretzels, and two ballpark francs. Let's feed everybody. This happened. The people are hungry. And the people are empty. And then Jesus and the people are full, and the people are satisfied. And this is what our hungry heart craves, is the fullness of Christ, who alone can do this. But there's more to this solution than just meets the eye. Let's dig down just a little bit deeper and see even more of what John intends us to see as we worship our Savior. First, in this story, I think John wants us to see that Jesus is the good shepherd that God the Father promised back in Ezekiel chapter 34. The leaders of Israel, through long stretches of Israel's history, were, just to put it plainly, they were just bad leaders. They were bad shepherds. They were, they were uh, the elders who had taken their authority over the nation of Israel and turned it for their own good. Listen to the words of Ezekiel chapter 34, just a small section from from a very powerful section. O shepherds of Israel, this is God speaking to them directly. Shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. 
The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. And God will later say, I am against you. I cannot imagine God saying to me personally, I am against you. And then God promises that he will bring his shepherd He says, basically, fine, I will provide a shepherd to care for my people. And what we see here in the feeding of the 5,000 is Jesus, that shepherd, feeding the people. Jesus is the good shepherd. There's a second thing going on here. Herod is the ruler over part of uh, this territory where they are. Now, it says um, uh, 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 that Jesus went over to the other side of the lake, and I think he moved the crowd from the northwest part of the Sea of Galilee to the northeast northeast section of the Sea of Galilee to move them out of Herod's territory. What... uh, And... uh, This isn't in my notes. Don't don't worry about the notes for a second. uh, It says there are 5,000 men here. I don't think this is uh, chauvinism. I think he's saying there are 5,000 men, and John notes at the end, who were ready to take Jesus by force and make him king. If that had happened that day, Jesus knows this, Herod would have squashed them, killed them, and destroyed this group of people, at least the men. It's the time of the Passover. The passage says this, near the time of the Passover. Passover is a little bit like 4th of July and something else that we don't have. It's this religious uh, moment when any kind of fervor that you might have to overthrow the government is going to build around the Passover. So it's near the Passover. There are 5,000 people. They see Jesus is like a prophet. They're going to want to storm Uh, him and take him by force and make him the king. Herod's going to hear about it, and he's going to send out his troops, and he's going to just destroy this group of people. I think that's why the 5,000 are mentioned, and I think that's the, the, the significance of this. Jesus knows this. He's a good shepherd. He has taken them and moved them out of Herod's territory because he's protecting them. That's between the lines. But here's the more significant thing. Jesus, excuse me, Herod has just had an, an event at his palace. He has thrown a party. It's a week-long party or more. Food, wine, gluttony, debauchery, disgusting, just disgusting party. That ends with the beheading of John the Baptist. Do you see the contrast? Jesus is in the wilderness. There's no food. Herod is one of the, it's probably the most powerful ruler in the world. Jesus Uh, He doesn't have a house, let alone a palace. There's no food. The people are hungry. Jesus feeds them. Jesus fills them. And Jesus will give them life. Herod is all about himself. And Herod's party ends in death. For the prophet that God has sent to go before Jesus. Jesus is a greater king. 
But there's the most important thing going on here is what we see in the text that goes on after this section. Jesus is Jesus points back to two things: the manna that came down from heaven for the Israelites, and then the Passover, which is the the center of Israel's history. He's pointing back to that, and he points forward then to his death and his resurrection. He is bread. He's the bread from heaven. He is the spiritual food that we need. But the people mistake what's going on here, and just like you and I would, well, just like I would, I joke, hey, can we stick with you, and can you, can you provide lunch tomorrow? They mistake what is being offered. Jesus wants them to want spiritual life. And they want a little thing. Let's make this a little more practical. Let's say you're dry. This this is how I, I, I envision this playing out when I want little things. And Jesus wants deeper things. You're driving to a work meeting. It's a one lane road. The driver ahead of you is going really slowly under the speed limit. Speed limit's bad enough, but under the speed limit. The reason you're late, you're, you're late for a meeting. The reason you're late is because you've been stuffing your schedule recently. More and more and more. Over the last couple of years, you've been cramming more in. And now you're, you're, you're starting to, you're, you're pounding on the wheel a little bit. And then now you're talking to the driver ahead of you. And now you're like talking loudly to the driver ahead of you. And you're angry at one level. Because, well, yeah, it's just going to be bad if you're late to the meeting. Okay, we get that. But the reality is that your pace reflects a deeper hunger for success. If I am not successful, I am not valuable. And in fact, you, you, you received precious little affirmation from your parents, and so you're just, your soul is craving value and affirmation. So you could pray that the driver turns off or something happens. God, just get this person out of my way. Or you can pray that God would begin to show you his love for you, his affirmation of you through Jesus Christ. I think this is what we're talking about with soul hunger and what Jesus really offers. Well, later after Jesus feeds the crowd, he says... I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give, that I will give for the life of the world, is my flesh. Here's the punchline of this whole passage of the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus is the host of this feast He is the host of this divine feast, feeding or serving himself. He is the good shepherd feeding us the lamb, the lamb of God that John said in chapter one, look, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Fred, if you are not a Christian here this morning, you've come in or you've been coming to this church for a while, please know that John recorded this story not just as an interesting piece of history. Wow, that's cool. 
Jesus fed a lot of people from nothing. That's cool. Well, it is. But it's not just a story. It is an invitation for you. He wants us to see our desperate problem, our sin and our separation from God. He wants us to see our spiritual hunger. And this story is an invitation to believe. In fact, that's why John wrote the entire Gospel of John, as we refer to it. It's an invitation to believe in Christ, to live for Christ, to give your life over to him. If you are a Christian, you know that we still need to work out our salvation. We wake up every day hungry with a choice to feed ourselves something, to feed our hearts, to feed our souls. Will we feed on Christ, or will we choose the thousands of other things that are available to us to feed our souls? Brothers and sisters, let's feed our soul with Christ. How? By feeding ourselves the word of God. He is the living word. We have the written word. It points to him. Feed your soul on the Bible straight up. Oh, maybe you need a little devotional now and then, but that's pre-digested. Feed yourself on the meat of the word of God. How? How do we feed ourselves? By prayer. Feel, sure, feel free to pray that that guy pulls over and lets you go. Pray for a parking spot, sure, but pray deep prayers like we see Paul praying in Colossians and Ephesians. And how do we feed ourselves on Christ? By asking the Holy Spirit to show us more of the greatness of our Savior, our good shepherd, our good king, the Lamb of God. Spiritual hunger is for real. The food Jesus offers will fill us. Let's pray. Father, awaken our hearts to our hunger and then reveal to us again freshly today, but day after day, who Jesus is the one who alone can fill our hungry souls. Make us alert to the alternatives, the food that dangerously will ultimately kill us. Father, give us a love for our Savior that we may worship him, that we may fill our hearts with him for his glory and for our good. We pray in his name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.